Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Brian Murphy is uh, out of town this week, so uh, the inmates are running the asylum here, Eric Lopez. Yeah, we uh, we wish Murph well. He's with spending some quality family time, uh, well deserved. We uh, we think of him. He's doing very or, well with that and his family. But or uh, or or is he? Because he was telling me, "Geez, I can't get away from this basketball team after that game last night." Yeah, that didn't work <laughs> out for him. Well, uh, what a wacky, one of the craziest basketball games in program history, one of the wildest sporting events that uh, we've have ever seen took place. Of course, when you're trying to step away, that's life. That's sports, as Murph likes to say. But uh, who knows? He could be also sneaking out the Yankee spring training, for all we know. So, yeah. I know. So, we, uh, so we'll talk about UCF's uh, victory, stunning victory, in double oh, overtime at Cincinnati. Uh, we will talk about UCF women's basketball. Um, I thought really taking it to South Florida uh, and sweeping the war on I-4. Uh, we will talk about uh, baseball and uh, softball getting there uh, now in the thick of their non-conference seasons. And we will uh, also discuss the uh, UCF football schedule coming. I kind of break that down for you. As, I mean, we knew who we, they were playing and where they were playing. We just didn't know about how it would work out. And we might have a little news on that front um, as well coming through. But first, let's talk about uh, men's basketball. What? Do you, all right. So let's let's set the stage here. Okay. UCF's going into Cincinnati. Cincinnati's first place in the conference. UCF is going there without Dazon Ingram, who's sick. Didn't even make the didn't even make the flight. As the flu. As right. The flu. Um, and it comes out that uh, Dre Fuller is out for the season. He has to have an operation. Courtesy of Murph, by the way. And he can't, since he's not here, he can't argue with us. This was a Murph bomb. This, yeah. He asked Dawkins about Dre Fuller at media availability. And that's when Dawkins kind of spilled it out that Dre Fuller wasn't going to be available and he was out for the year. So right. that's a Murph bomb. And Murph, if you're listening, can't argue this time. Murph not bomb. The show, so there you go. Murph bomb, you can't stop me, Murph. Murph bomb. Um, so what? Oh, so now some like noise, like to make a yeah. Murph bomb noise, like a <laughs> right. Bomb. We need here it is. Here it is. I got it. There's your Murph bomb. <laughs> um. So the uh, so so UCF goes into Cincinnati playing the first place Bearcats, and, and they're ten and a half point underdogs. And what do they do in this game? Well, they come out actually pretty well, jump out to a bit of a lead. Second half, they just kind of just kind of keep hanging around. All of a sudden, the UCF pushes the lead out to nine in uh, in the final moments. Well, Cincinnati kind of you know to their credit, they're good. They they fight their way back. Tie game uh, goes into overtime. Goes into a second overtime, and again the defense comes up big. Tony Johnson Jr. had what I thought was his breakout game of the season. Twenty one points, filled up the stat sheet. Twenty one points. Nine rebounds, six assists, six deals, 47 minutes. Brandon Mahan was outstanding. 20 points and seven rebounds. He was 9 of 15 from the field. And yet, despite all that, it almost didn't happen. So UCF is leading 89-87 after, uh, uh, I believe it was Avery Diggs hit a couple of, hit one out of two free throws uh, with 1.2 seconds left after. By the way, UCF had three defensive stops on Cincinnati in the final minute of the second overtime. So talk about your defense stepping up on the road. And then Jaron Cumberland throws a desperation half-court shot that goes in, and it was about a half second after the buzzer. And it didn't count. And UCF gets out of Cincinnati. First, if I'm not mistaken, Eric, first win in Cincinnati. Correct. In yes, program history. Yep. 
and uh, comes right after that disastrous performance against Wichita State when Murph, great column, by the way, that he wrote about how this team really needed its sort of come-to-Jesus moment. And boy, did they ever. Kind of reminiscent of what Wichita State did the week before, the game before they played UCF where um, where Greg Marshall was was kind of beside himself and and the t- and that team kind of had a moment um well they well they recovered from that and first game back after you know that sort of come to Jesus moment they had a you know they beat UCF on the road well UCF has that bad game against Wichita then they go on the road and they beat Cincinnati in double OT um it's just what a game I mean what a game and what a what a performance and a confidence building performance for these for for the young guys on the team, especially with days on out, um, Coach Dawkins was particularly complimentary of the freshmen who got a lot of minutes. Some of them made some, you know, freshman plays like Tony Johnson did. He got caught, uh, you know, he almost got caught with a flagrant foul, even though it was kind of a flop. Although it was a flop, he didn't even hit the kid. I mean, right? Like, it, it, it it looked bad, but you know, I mean, you know, basketball ref, basketball officiating, you just you never put it past him, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> what I don't understand about that, and, and he, look, in fairness, he probably tra- traveled on the play, so th- it should have been Cincinnati ball anyway. He did not right. hit the Cincinnati player with an elbow. The Cincinnati player flopped, and one of the things that annoys me is that they can review that, okay, to see if it was flagrant or not. But they can't review the fact if it was a foul or not, because that was not a foul. So right. that, that's absurd. But that was one of the many annoying calls, I'll call it PG-rated here, <laughs> that went against UCF, like the Colin Smith fifth foul, which was not a, uh, a block. It, was, it should have been a charge. It was an obvious charge. Obvious yeah, charge. That, I mean, And for me to say, I always give the officials the benefit of the doubt, because they have a hard enough job anyway. I mean, they're calling everything in real time, and they get broken down sure. in super slow motion from 15 different angles. But that one was obvious. Right. So you have that going on. And you didn't even mention the fact Cincinnati blitzed UCF to start the game 10-2. to 2, And you're thinking to yourself, and now full disclosure, I didn't watch the game live. I was at women's basketball calling the women's basketball game. And then as I was leaving, you, Jeff was giving me play-by-play updates because uh, my app wasn't working. So. <laughs> I'm listening, and then I was listening to Mark on the way once I got home. And then I rewatched the game uh, later that night on archive. Cincinnati blitzed them 10 to 2. Cesar DeJesus, who started at the point guard, had trouble. I think he turned it over, what, three times, like right away, it seemed like, Jeff, yeah. and really struggled and got the and credit to Coach Dawkins. He gave him the hook. That's how Tony Johnson got the playing time at the point. And UCF came all the way back from five down at the half, takes the lead. I think they're up nine at one point in the second half. Tony Johnson was incredible. And Brandon Mahan was incredible. He scored 20.7 boards. He hit nine layups. Yeah. Nine layups. Big layups. And it, it's an, a, it was just an incredible game back and forth. I thought the broadcast was phenomenal on ESPNU, where they were talking about how crazy this game was. This was, by the way, the fourth straight overtime game for Cincinnati. Man. Which I think is – and it's their seventh of the year. And how does that team play? How's, how does any team, for that matter, play that many overtime games and they're still standing? I mean, you could see, you could see kind of the uh, the fatigue a little bit setting in too. I mean, they were tired. They were really tired. Yeah. I think you know. But and then, but I, you know, I'm thinking as you're giving me play by play, you know, UCF has a three point lead at overtime. Cincinnati hits the three to send it to second overtime. And Cincinnati goes up three early. And you're like, oh, and I think I even texted you. I'm like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you did. 
Yeah, yeah. By the way, by the way, yeah. There, here's you. You know, saying the game's over. You guys getting on my case about the Super Bowl, and then look what happened. Well, the difference is the Chiefs <laughs> have come from behind from bigger deficits. I didn't know this yeah. UCF team have it in them, but they did. To their credit, they did. Uh, and it's all credit to Tony Johnson. Uh, breakout party for the freshman. Forty-seven minutes. I thought Darren Green was solid. Matt Milan gave him forty-seven hard minutes. Um, guys stepped up, uh, dig stepped up when he had to come in, when Colin went fouled out and these guys found the way to win the game. Um, just a remarkable game. I mean, it was a game that absolutely, uh, had everything. It's the game of the, it's one of the games of the year in UCF athletics. When we look back on the year, 2019, 2020, this game is going to be right up there on the list. If not, number one is certainly right there. Um, and it's a it's a memorable win that we nobody will rem, will forget that watch the game. Uh, you'll be like where where you know where you were, and you hope that this is a game you look back a couple of years from now and, and you're like, wow, this could this was the game that was the breakout game, like you mentioned for Tony Johnson, the freshman, uh, who was just spectacular. And I expect to get hopefully more minutes now moving forward. And I think they found something with this kid who you know has been inconsistent quite honestly it's not like they haven't wanted to give him minutes he just hasn't earned it I mean there's something to be said you have to earn minutes uh you don't just give it to him and I think he earned some minutes here and he was phenomenal uh incredible effort shorthanded on the road against Cincinnati it's a tough they were 31 and 2 Jeff in their last 33 conference home games there wow not an easy place to win and to just win this game is amazing yeah. an amazing job by the staff to to rally the troops and get them prepared, and an incredible game, and uh, it just, it's just just truly remarkable game. Truly remarkable. There's so many th- parts of the game that was just crazy um, that just had a little bit of everything, and it was just wild. Just an amazing game. All-time UCF is 3-11 and against Cincinnati, including this victory. Obviously, 0-4 at, uh, at Cincinnati. The closest game UCF actually played in Cincinnati was, uh, there was a, a UCF, I think, that, yeah, it was 2017. UCF lost by 10 um, in, uh, or no, or last year, excuse me. It was uh, February of last year. UCF lost by five. But every, every other game was double digits or more uh, at Cincinnati. UCF had no business, you know, on paper winning no. this game. No, they, they, had no they had no business even, even keeping it close. And no, they found crazy. a way to do it. You're absolutely right. And what's crazy is the game was on Cincinnati's terms. The game was in the 70s. Yeah. Like, if you would have said UCF would have won this game, it, oh, okay, well, it's got to be in the 50s or 60s. I've written about it on the site. Throw that out the window in this game. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me, it just says so much about the character of this team, of the players, and this coaching staff. And, you know, I saw you went at it on social media with some people about Coach Dawkins, and uh, I'm with you 100%. Uh, the people that have been critical this year is absolutely laughable. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wanted to recap that just in case anybody didn't see it. Who's? Yeah, I, I had said um, th- there was a stat. Okay, there was a stat that popped up on on the telecast. It's one of those little sliders that pop out that if you're if you're not careful, you don't see it. And it said that UCF returned nineteen point seven percent of his scoring from last year. Now we knew that, right? We did. Um, uh, myself and. Uh, uh, Luke Harris, we we ran the numbers on that. What I did not know, and what I did not realize, is that was the fourth fourth lowest percentage of returning scoring in all of Division One. Fourth lowest. There are three hundred and fifty teams in Division One 
And that was the fourth lowest. They're 347th. And for this team to be above 500 overall, I don't care about what the schedule says. For this team to be above 500 overall and to win that game, I'm sorry. If you're critical of Johnny Dawkins, I think one person came at me saying, well, what about recruiting? I'm like, you're looking at the recruiting right now. All right? It's absolute, it's absolute lunacy. They just need, they just need to stop. They need to, they need to stop and shut up and go away because they don't know what they're talking about. No, well, that's clear. I mean, they don't have a clue about college basketball, how it works. Look, ask Roy Williams how things are, how easy it is to win. Yeah. They're having a miserable year. Notre Dame hasn't made the tournament. Your boy, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, uh, they're struggling. It's not as easy to rebuild in college basketball like it used to be anymore because guys leave quickly. There's transfers and things like that. And everybody knew that you, if you follow this closely, you knew this was a rebuild year. And in mid-major schools, which is what UCF is, this is how it works. You're not going to be a perennial NCAA tournament team. You're a program that's hopefully making the postseason two out of your four years. You have to develop guys. And that's part of the season here with Tony Johnson being developed. Dre Fuller, who unfortunately got hurt, is out for the year. I think showed a lot of promise as a two-way player prior to his injury. And then you got Darren Green, who's been tremendous. And as I mentioned, he's got a good class coming in next year, including a kid from Tampa that's really supposed to be really good. So uh, in that Tampa area, I should say. So this is a rebuild year. And by the way, look at all the preseason pronostications. They were picked ninth in the league. Well, they're actually above that right now. Uh, they've got a chance. Okay, if you look at the remaining schedule, 14 and 11, 5 and 8 in the league. Mm -hmm. They host Tulane on Saturday at UConn, at Tulsa, home to SMU, home to ECU. Not saying anything's a given because anything that's been proven this year in college basketball, and especially in the American, nothing's a given. But let's say UCF can protect their home turf and win their home games and somehow find a way to split those two road games. You realize that would put him at nine and nine in the league. Yeah, <laughs> nine and nine in the league. That would put him five five wins. games. That would put him at let's see there. What, what, what where are they at right now? They're fourteen, and, 14 11. and eleven. Um, they be eighteen and twelve. They'd be eighteen and twelve. And could you could you imagine that happening? What you, know, ju what you just said, and then they win, and then they say they somehow get to the semifinals of the American Athletic Conference tournament that they, they would eke out a 20 win season and probably sneak in and make the nit in that scenario which maybe i don't know i i think like i think well obviously it would it would have to depend on um if if ucf were willing to pay to go to, to go to the cbi to to the NIT. no not, not the, the NIT, nit but the c I, but i don't know i don't well, even know about the nit cbi maybe i don't know well, I don't know about the C. I'm not going to get into the whole CBI the CIT, stuff. I'm, I'm just more about the NIT version. But even if they don't, who cares? I mean, the bottom line is to have an 18 to 20 win year when you lost everybody, yeah. basically, uh, is remarkable what he's done. And really, you could argue if a couple things would have bounced his way. And we'll get into this more once the season ends. I think things didn't go as planned. Right. This team. All right. So not only you have all this to replace, there's things that didn't go as planned. There's players that didn't play, injuries. Yeah. You out a lot didn't sure. didn't make the grade. Um, they lost that they lost that game to Memphis by two. They they lost to they lost at uh, or they lost well, the, the Temple, Temple by game, four. The game where you they, led, yeah, yeah. They lost at Oklahoma by one point. There was mm. the there was the three pointer that wasn't against Penn in, in in the tournament out in California. I mean, there's so many so many points 
you know, where, you know, a bounce here or there. And who knows what, where this team is looking at right now, you know? Absolutely. 100% agree. And yet they have a chance, again, by the scenario I just played out, they could finish 9-9 nine and nine and 18 wins, even if they don't, right? Because odds are maybe they don't. Let's just say they, they maybe they drop a game extra. But even if they go 8-10 and 10 in the league, right. with the way the league, with the parity the way it's been, that's a pretty remarkable job considering this team. And, and Johnny is, is the right guy for this program, for this program, for where this program is and what it can do and what the limitations are. He's the right guy. Thankfully, the, the, the guy that the, the opinion that matters, Danny White, agrees with that. Not right. some schmo on social media that's just want to be a troll and a hater because he doesn't. He thinks he follows the program for five minutes. He thinks he knows what's going on in college basketball. So uh, well, because you know, they well because they think we're North Carolina and we're not. So right, or they think knock it's like, it off. Well, we just you know race off wins every year right. um so anyway so that 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 ends the book on that i, I think Dawkins and i think anybody that followed the program knew he was going to get a pay this, this is not a year to judge anything it's a rebuild year that's what it is and everybody has to go through it at some point now a couple of interesting aspects of that game last night which uh, on wednesday night jeffrey which was funny um and then re-watching it back and then kind of remembering when i was texting you about it they don't foul at the end of the first overtime right mm-hmm. and of course the cincinnati kid hits the three, uh, Cumberland, yeah. send it to the second overtime, which is funny because the, the broadcast, Adams, who's the analyst, who's really good, great guy, was the, the calling. The, was the analyst with Kevin Brown. He was talking about how he's asked Johnny Dawkins over and over every time he does a game, would you foul or not foul up three? And he says, you always defend. You always defend. And I'm always usually in that case, but I'm pretty flexible on it. If people want to foul, that's so be it. So he lets him go for the three. They hit the shot. So then the second overtime, I remember – when Milan hit the two free throws, and I asked you the question, foul or don't foul? Now, uh, you do. I don't know where you stand on that. Are you a guy that believes in fouling in that situation or not fouling? You know, I. It's it's hard because I, I think if you're, I'm okay with fouling if it's in the backcourt. I get I get nor I get nervous when you're doing it in the front court and they know you're going to do it, and then you know, some guard just throws the ball up toward the hoop, and then all of a sudden, your guy's a little bit late getting over, they call it a, and they call it a three-shot foul. And that's the part that makes me nervous. I'm okay, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is, and and I know this is a cop-out, but I'm I'm okay with it in in the right situation, and that situation is if you have to make them go 94 feet. Now, the interesting is they foul with 6.8 seconds, which I remember when you told me that, on the live, mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, that seems a little early. That seems a little too early. Yeah. Uh, and then Cincinnati hit the free throws, and then UCF couldn't inbound the ball, and you thought it was a quick five seconds. You didn't think it was a legit I th- I five thought it. I thought it was a quick count. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really quick count. But uh, the bottom line is UCF, it, it looked like I, – I, I forget it was inbounding the ball, but um, I think it was Darren Green. It was Darren Green. Green. I, I, was Darren yeah. Green. And, and uh, they just froze up in that situation. And, I kind of uh, agree. I thought it was quick, but you know that's what happens when you're on the road. Sometimes. Right. Um, and, and you have no timeouts. You know, so no they couldn't. So they couldn't advance. Minutes. They couldn't advance the ball. They couldn't do any of the things that they would have wanted to. But um, but then it came down to Cumberland green. again. Yeah. 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 Green guarded Cumberland well in that last sequence. There made that an awkward shot for him. Stayed on him. Didn't foul. Made Cumberland miss. And then the funny part is Avery Diggs. And I remember you were telling me this live 
and it's you're like he's going to the line for two. They're up one, and he, I remember you told me there's like 1.2 seconds, mm-hmm. and he makes the first, and I'm like, and I remember I I texted you miss miss. Well, he, well, he uh, missed the first one. Right, he missed the first one, but I'm saying miss the second one. Right, miss the second one because Cincinnati has no timeouts. So even if you miss, the ball hits the rim with 1.2 seconds. It's almost impossible to get a shot off. The problem is if you make this free throw, Cincinnati can inbound and set up a, a catch-and-shoot situation. So, right. of course, he makes the shot. Now, I heard Mark Daniels uh, this morning on the bridge with Mike Bianchi uh, in Orlando radio station down Thursday morning. He said, because he's obviously set up next to the UCF bench and he's right in front of Johnny Dawkins, he mentioned that Dawkins told Diggs to miss on purpose the second free throw, which, of course, he didn't, Right, <laughs> which always happens, right? And so that allows Cincinnati to inbound the ball. And, of course, they give it to their best player, Cumberland, who gets a shot from half court and nails it. Thankfully, he hesitated. And good credit to Tony Johnson, who made him hesitate because he was right right in front of him. It wasn't like Cumberland was wide open. And as a result, the shot got off late, and it didn't count. uh, And the Knights win it. Uh, But that was just just a few parts of this incredible game with so many subplots into it. But Diggs, who played a heck of a game, would have been better off missing the second one on purpose because the Cincinnati would not have been able to get the shot off. So fortunately, it didn't come back to haunt tonight. That would have been unfortunate. But it was just what a what a crazy. I mean, you. I mean, think about what when you think of like these games, Jeffrey. I was trying to think. Can you think of a regular season game that UCF's been involved in in basketball? Oh, I'm sure. As wild as this one. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure we. I'm sure we've got a few of them. Yeah, so we, I mean, we've had some wild ones. There was a game in against Tulane back in uh, 2015 that went three overtimes, and UCF won 103-100. Um, there was a double OT game. Uh, oh, that that game in the tournament actually in Orlando, um, in the conference tournament, that Temple game that went two overtimes. Remember the Isaiah Sykes game? Oh wow! Ninety-four yeah. ninety. That was a, that was a pretty that was a pretty wild one. Um, Let's see. I'm just going back through. There was a, uh, back when we were in conference USA. It was a Marshall game, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, there was a loss at. Yeah, that was a, there was a triple OT loss at Marshall, one twenty one one fifteen. That was back in twenty ten. Um, and there was a triple overtime Tulsa game at home. I think it was right. a seven oh eight. Yeah, that was, was a eight. Yeah, that was that was oh eight, and that was a that was a win. Uh, January twelfth of two thousand eight, uh, ninety seven ninety one against Tulsa. And yeah, that's still one of the best games, there. if not best games I've seen in that arena, wherever however you want to call it. It was back then. It was UCF or the new UCF arena. Then it was the CFE arena. Now it's the official yeah. financial arena. I remember there was uh, a there was a uh, in 03, There was a double overtime game at Georgia State that UCF won. That was when Georgia State was good. Um, eighty-one seventy-four. That was in the old day Sundays. I remember I was a was student. Was that the Lefty Drizel? Uh, that was Lefty Drizel. That's right. And uh, Lamont McIntosh and yeah, and some of those guys. So yeah, there was some there was some good Georgia State teams back in the day. But those are the most recent wild ones in memory. So UCF's those had their the yeah. That, that there was there was a few of them that uh, that you know we had some. Um, you, you know, that brings back some memories. Overtime wacky games. Obviously, there've been some crazy regular, uh, you know, non-overtime yeah. games. Obviously, but none of the none of them were the of the magnitude of an upset to the extent that this one was. I think that I think um, that's yeah, the. I would argue there was a if there was a tipping that would have gone in in Greenville in March well, uh, last March that would have been one. <laughs> well, yeah, that would have that would have been one. But uh, just to. Somebody, just to wrap this up, like you were saying, looking at the remaining schedule, four, at fourteen and eleven and five and eight in the league, 
Yeah. Uh, UCF is back uh, home for Tulane on Saturday. Well, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Noon tip Saturday. Uh, the team got in around 6 o'clock in the morning, Thursday yeah. morning. And two, uh, two, lanes, two lanes ticked off because uh, UCF beat them up in New Orleans the last time. Well, so they're out for blood. And they're just coming off a win. They beat SMU at home on Wednesday night. So it's going to be interesting. The Knights, they're going to need the fans on this game because energy could be an issue yeah. here. Matt Milan played, what, 47 minutes? Tony Johnson, 47 minutes. Darren Green, 45 minutes. And, you know, I think Brandon Mahan played, 40, played over 40 right. minutes as well, too. So the legs could be an issue here. You hope you get Dejan back just to have an extra body uh, and see. But, they, you know, that it's a quick turnaround when you play a double overtime game on the road. You get back in Thursday morning. Now you got to get ready for a noon tip Saturday. You don't even get the early part of Saturday to rest. So it's right. a quick turnaround. This is a tricky game to try to bounce back and not have a hangover uh, physically uh, as well as emotionally after that Cincinnati dramatic win. And so, and it's a big game because after that they got a two game road trip uh, on Wednesday, the 26th at UConn, who's playing better. And then at Tulsa, which as we know, UCF never wins there in football or basketball. So. Right, right. Tulsa, Tulane, I should note, eleven and fifteen overall, three and eleven in the league, and they're right now alone in last. But that but doesn't again, that doesn't that doesn't mean they're not going to be a problem. <laughs> no, and they beat Cincinnati this year, yeah. which is hilarious. That tells you how crazy this league is. Anybody literally can beat anybody on a yeah. given night, and that's not a cliche this year. Yeah. Let's move over to the women's because we had a we had a coinciding basketball last night, big night of basketball, and the UCF women um, took it to South Florida last night. I thought in uh, in pretty impressive and physically dominating fashion. UCF now tied, uh, uh, or actually, I shouldn't say, even though they're tied in conference record with Cincinnati, UCF beat Cincinnati the week before or the uh, the game before, so. UCF actually has the tiebreaker for second place uh, in the league. Sixteen and eight, eight and four are the Knights, and they uh, and they knock off South Florida, sweeping the uh, War on I four um, series this year in uh, women's basketball. And uh, Eric, you were doing uh, the UCF uh, the UCF radio call for this game. Uh, it was on uh, ESPN three. Our good friend Despina uh, Barton was on the call for that game, but. Uh, uh, it, it, it was a. It, it looked a, first of all, UCF jumped out to a pretty big lead. I think it was twenty-one to nine at one point. Um, South Florida fought back, made it a, a you know made it a ball game, but uh, then UCF in the third and fourth quarter just kind of did what they what we usually see them do in the second half, as they just wear teams down and grind them down physically. Um, Key performance at KK Wright. KK Wright once again gets hers, twenty-four points to uh, uh, lead uh, all scores on eight of twenty-three from the field, seven of nine at the line. Um, Ten points though for Brittany Smith. I mean, Brittany did not have a very good night from the field. She was only two of nine, but she was six of six uh, from the free throw line. Masni Kaba was one for seven from the field, but five of ten at the line for seven points. Um, Georgia Gale hit a couple threes for eight, but really it was the uh, it was the KK Wright show and just the defense. They held South Florida to 17 for 52 from the field. In fact, uh, in fact, the Bulls turned the ball over 21 times and made 17 field goals. And they were three, or excuse me, two of 18 from three-point range. That's their bread and butter. Um, but it wasn't falling for them um, last night. Now they've had their own uh, issues with 
uh, injuries and youth, to be fair, but um, this was the this was a uh, this was a key a key game, I think, for UCF overall to just kind of keep pace and win your rival game and um, and and kind of send a message to the rest of the league that you know we're we're prepared to take your best shot. Uh, and I think that's what they were able to do. They didn't play their best, but they won the game anyway. Well, I mean, being courtside was fascinating. It, it reminded me a lot of the Heat-Knicks games in the playoffs. What was it, late 90s, 2000? Remember those? 75, 72. Not artistic offensively, but just just vicious. Uh, you know, every possession was contested. And it was uh, emotional, physical. They let them play. And that's kind of what this game was. It was not artistic. Uh, I think UCF shot 20, 26, 27% for the game, shot 21 in the first half. So this is not, if you like offense, this was not your kind of game. But it was two teams going at it, battling it out from opening tip to the last battle. Nothing was a given. Uh, every, both teams, thought I thought, played well defensively. And I think the differences in the game, and I talked to Coach Abe about it in the postgame show we do, uh, they took out South Florida out of the three-point line. South Florida, and you have covered Jose Fernandez like I have for multiple years. He's a great offensive mind. Loves to spread you out. Loves to go and beat you from the three-point line. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, his Florida, offense is like if you put Josh Heupel's offense into basketball. Yeah. That's that's what it is. And you see, and, and Abe was able to take him away from the three-point line. They Coming into the game, South Florida was averaging eight threes made a game, shooting 38% from the three-point line. That's all both second best in the league. And UCF shut them down, held them to just the two threes that you mentioned. Uh, didn't make them – it was not an up-tempo game. Jose likes to push the ball, and UCF got back defensively. The other thing that South Florida is very good at is rebounding. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the country, especially – when it comes to getting second offensive rebounds and just total. Well, UCF dominated the, the boards, especially in the first half. Uh, they ended up actually having more offensive rebounds than USF, which created more possessions in the game. And uh, I thought they, they the glass, they did a job. Kaba was fantastic. Eight rebounds was really a, a presence inside. And then in the fourth quarter, KK Wright took over. I think she scored 10 of her uh, 24 uh, double figures and points in the fourth quarter. She took over the fourth quarter like she did in Tampa in January. And uh, it, it, it just grows the legend that is KK Wright. You look at her field. She was 8 of 23 from the field. She started the game 2 of 16 uh, and got hot in the fourth quarter. And it reminded me of a Michael Jordan uh, a late Kobe Bryant type game where they weren't shooting well from the field, but they were determined to get the job done, whether it be getting to the free throw line and getting points that way, which she did that. She was seven of nine or just getting it going in the fourth quarter when it mattered. She willed that team to victory. And it was a, it was a passionate game, uh, a huge win to sweep and, and huge to sweep your rivals because Jeff, right now the Knights are in the mix for the NCAA tournament. Uh, yeah. As of Thursday morning, their RPI is 41. Uh, Charlie Cream, who's the bracketologist for uh, ESPN and women's basketball, has UCF in as of Monday as one of the last four teams in. So they're in the mix. Uh, they're, you mentioned they're tied for second with Cincinnati for second place. And as I was told, uh, if UCF, if you look at the remaining schedule, obviously they're going to go to UConn this Saturday. That's not going to be easy considering all the energy and effort that they expended in the rivalry game against South Florida on Wednesday night while Connecticut was 
chilling at home, blowing out Tulane. Thanks, League. Not only do you have <laughs> UConn at home, but, you know, against Tulane, so they're going to be well-rested while UCF's got to go on the road. That's not going to be pretty. But but let's just say UCF drops that game. They're going to be a heavy underdog at UConn. If UCF wins out beyond that game the rest of the way, they win out, keep in mind, Cincinnati still has to play UConn. South Florida still has to play UConn. Let's assume Cincinnati loses to UConn as well, as does South Florida. UCF in that scenario would have tiebreakers over everybody and get the two seed. So it's in their control. Obviously, if you could beat UConn, then we don't have to worry about a lot of stuff. But nonetheless, uh, they're in position here to make the tournament. And I think, Jeff, if you look at this right now, how are they going to make the NCAA tournament? If you could beat UConn, that would be awesome. That, let's say well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say, I, I would say, if they if they could somehow figure out a way to beat UConn in UConn, just right. just punch your ticket right now. I mean, that's right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, uh, but uh, one option. But but the other options is you got to win two out of the last three: home for Temple at Memphis and home well, for. I think you got to win out. I think you got to win out those, especially winning that Temple. Oh yeah, I agree. The game Temple's in the seventies, I believe. RPI. In fact, I'll look at it real quick where Temple stands. Uh, RPI Temple's wise. in kind Temple's of a cluster in the right yeah. There's so you have South Florida at seventy one, you have Temple at seventy three, you have Cincinnati at seventy six. So there's kind of a cluster. There's obviously UConn at the top among the American teams. They're in the top five in the RPI, uh, and then there's that big gap, and then there's UCF hanging out in the upper forties or the low. Is it the upper or lower forties? Forty one. Forty one. So however you want to so, say it's forty one. You know, I, I mean, I tend to say like upper 40s because they're like a little bit higher, even though it's a lower 40 number. Anyway, um, the uh, so there, there and then there's that big gap. So you have to hold serve against yes. those three teams if you lose to it. Obviously, assuming you lose to UConn, which you don't want to assume that, obviously. But I mean, UConn is UConn, and then it's all down to the uh, to going back to Connecticut for the conference championship starting on. March the sixth. If you if UCF can snag that two seed and hang on to it, you don't have to face UConn until the Correct. championship game, which is what happened last year. So correct, and that would and I think that's what the path to get to the NCAA's win all of these games. Let's say you drop the UConn game, win out after that, and then get the two seed, get to the American Conference final, and then you know play competitive against UConn. Look, I mean you we could you could joke about this. But I do think the seven-point loss earlier this year at home to UConn impresses the, will impress the committee. And I think it's impressed Charlie Cream. It's one of the reasons why he has a in. And give credit to Coach Abe on this. One of the reasons they're in the mix for the tournament. Overall schedule strength ranking, 42nd. That's the yeah. 42nd toughest schedule in the country. Um, now, they've gotten some help from their early season opponents, too. Yeah. I think that – Well, yeah. Well, but think about this. Because the league is down. They're, the league is rated ninth best. That's not really great. Uh, to help your cause. She scheduled the 19th toughest non-conference schedule in the country. Yeah. Uh, that's impressive. And you, you mentioned, think about this, Jeffrey, and I think you were there. You might have done PA for this game. A December game against Central Michigan is looming big right now. Right. Because that's their marquee win. Central Michigan is 17 in the RPI. They're like, right. Early Cream has them projected as an 8 or 9 seed right now. So that is UCF's marquee win right now in their resume. Central uh, Michigan so is 20 and 4 right now and they're in the yeah. top 20 in the RPI. UCF beat them by 6 2 years before New Year's, 2 days before New Year's Day. Was that the home. game that KK like exploded too? I you can well, let me pull up that. the box. I, I I forget, but uh well, I mean there's this uh 
Michaela Kelly for Central Michigan was really outstanding. She was she had twenty six points, but you were at that um, game. I, think. I was at that game. KK had twenty uh, twenty and six rebounds on seven of sixteen. Uh, Brittany Smith had twelve on five and five of nine, and then Siani Martin actually had a pretty good game too. She had ten points off the bench. So um, there was a game where UCF was actually uh, actually trailing after one, and then in the middle two quarters, outscored Central Michigan. Um, uh, basically almost doubled them in the middle two quarters. So, I mean, back then we didn't think, okay, well, you know, decent, you know, right. decent, decent non-conference win against a, you know, a, a kind of just another team. Uh, lo and behold, that, uh, you're right, it looms large as, as uh, the, uh, the Chippewas are the top team from the MAC in the RPI, yep. and they're right now sitting pretty at 18. And you're rooting for them to keep winning and win yeah. the tournament so they Wait, get keep an winning. automatic Keep bid winning, Chippewas. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you look at that. They have that win. And then remember, they lost by five to UCLA, whose RPI is eight. That was without KK. That was in that tournament in Virginia where they lost to UCLA by five and then lost to James Madison by three. James Madison's RPI is 42. And then they lost to UConn by seven. But those are the games that they've played very close. And now they're going to add wins against South Florida. That's going to be quality. If you can add wins against Temple, that's huge. The only thing that's hurting right now, the thing that worries me, they lost it at Tulane. Remember that game? It was at the last second, and the clock kind of mm-hmm. ran, and they, UCF wasn't giving it a bit. Tulane's RPI is 158. That's a kind of a – that's not great. Yeah, that one hurt. That one hurt when it happened. It hurt. But then the Temple game, I know you were bothered by that one. You watched that game at Temple. They lost by two. Now, Temple's RPI is 75. But imagine – Imagine if UCF splits those two games or even wins those two games. They might even be sitting prettier and have more room for air instead of right now, which I think is still a razor-thin air. Uh, but look, they've put themselves in this position. They have a chance. They're playing meaningful games down the stretch here. They're all big, and it's a credit to them to sweep South Florida. And let's not lose fact to that. And I mentioned this to Coach, and you know this, Jeff. South Florida owned UCF in women's basketball. Yeah. I mean, nobody could debate that prior to Abe's arrival. I mean, it wasn't even close. Like, I mean, there's, we, there's, still a, there's still a huge gap in the all-time series, sure. well in but, favor I mean, of South Florida. But that was a sport where, like, even UCF, the diehards would even concede, right? Like, all right, right. Oh, yeah, you guys, you know what I mean? That's not the case. Abe has somehow turned this rivalry around. They've won the last four, yep. and they've won five of the last six meetings, I believe. And Five of the last eight. Good, five of the last eight, yeah. And, and listen, I, we have our friends over there. We're not going to mention, you know, who they are, our SB Nation buddies, and we joke. That's you know, what they we do a great Daily Stampede. Yeah, they like to they like to throw the tra- hashtag well, they, trash zone. I got news for you, Nathan Bond. Trash zone wins games, baby. Mark well, it, it down. But what's funny is she didn't play like the traditional zone. It was more of a matchup zone, right? Because they didn't want to give up holes to South Florida, so she even tweaked her thing. And look, I I, I saw some like. They were kind of dogging. It's funny how they were trashing the USF team for, like, shot selection. You know why they didn't have great shot selection? Because UCF players were in their face. Right. Like, give credit where credit is due. <laughs> give UCF credit. I think Jose Fernandez is a damn good coach. We both have said that. I think we're both in the Jose Fernandez fan club in the job he's done there in 20 seasons. Right. Um, there, this is this is not a what's wrong with USF basketball thing. This is a, wow, this is UCF women's basketball taking it from them. Just like we gave credit in, to Brian Gregory in South Florida earlier this year when they won against UCF and the men. So please, Daily Stampede, give us their credit. Stop being all bitter about it. It's not our fault that we're beating you in every sport for the most part. But it's great competition, and it's credit to Coach Abe and the job she's done uh, there. Now, that being said, now they got to go to UConn on a quick turnaround, as I mentioned. That's going to be Good tough, luck with Jeff. that. Yeah, well, Saturday – 
at one o'clock. Uh, the game that game will be televised on ESPN three via SNY. Um, it'll, you know, well, hopefully, I, I don't know if it'll be the last time that we see UConn, but uh, I'm not going to complain if it is. But uh, we're down and, to two trips in Connecticut. That's right. the way I look at it. Um, look, here's the thing: UCF can defend. I think they can defend UConn offensively. They proved that the first meeting. The question is, can UCF score against UConn? Yeah. That's going to be the issue. Hopefully, they can keep it uh, and, and respectable, give a respectable score. You don't want to get blown your doors blown off by 30 to 40 points. But more importantly, Jeff, you don't want this game to mess up with your mojo because I think you could argue that UCF is playing their best basketball right now. Winners of five in a row, and I believe – the last four games, they've held opponents under 50 points. They're getting back to what they are. This is a Coach A basketball. And I think she even acknowledged that she likes how they're playing defensively here. They're playing their best defensively. You would hate for a UConn game to disrupt that, regardless of the result moving forward. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I think UConn has won, what, 150 now, some straight games against the American um, uh, since the formation of the conference in 2013. Only twice – have they played a game where they beat an in-conference opponent by single digits? One of them was Tulane a couple years ago, and of course earlier this season against UCF in Orlando. So we'll monitor that one, obviously, very closely. That came up in uh, stores. All right, we're going to take a breather, come back. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, football schedule. Break it a little bit down. Break it down for us. We know who the opponents are. We know where we're playing them, but now we know when they're playing them and in what order. And some, maybe some news to break on this also. Stick around. Be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Follow us online at uh, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And, of course, BlackandGoldBanneret.com, your home for UCF sports on SB Nation, where we were able to break almost instantaneously to – the conference, uh, the UCF uh, football schedule for 2020. Now, we knew who UCF was playing. We more or less, well, we knew who UCF was playing. We knew where they were playing. We didn't quite know when they were playing them. So that's now pretty much official. So uh, the North Carolina game is confirmed for a Friday, September 4th, to start the season on ESPN. Time still to be determined. Most likely, I imagine, that would be at prime time. Um, FIU is, is the following Saturday. Georgia Texas at Georgia Texas Saturday after that. Here's where it gets wonky. Right now, that Georgia Tech game is scheduled for Saturday, September 19th at Bobby Dodd Stadium. UCF's conference opener at ECU is the following week. That's scheduled for, a th that's scheduled for Thursday night in Greenville uh, on an ESPN network. Um, that's, a, that's four days in between big, your biggest road non-conference game and your conference opener on the road. Uh, following that, home for Tulsa, that's the home conference opener on October the 3rd. The game at Memphis at the Liberty Bowl is on Friday, October 16th, but that comes after the bye week. October 10th is the bye week. Homecoming is Saturday, October 24th against Tulane. Halloween night, the Knights are at Houston. Um, the interesting part here, so the, the FCS game with Florida A&M got moved from October 10th, which is the Knights' bye week, to November the 7th. 
um, which I is a Saturday. Bye weeks. <laughs> Listen, don't 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 sleep too much on Florida A and M, who was pretty good last year in the MEAC. They they yeah, were tops in the MEAC last year. I get it, I get it, but you know it's still you know that you still got to show up. Um, November uh, now. Here's the thing: UCF does not play a single game outside of the I four corridor after Halloween night at Houston. Home for FAMU on November 7th. Home for Temple on November 14th. Home for Cincinnati on November 21st. That could be a huge game. And then Black Friday, November 27th, at South Florida. And, of course, the American Championship game scheduled for December 5th. So here were my takeaways from the schedule, Eric Lopez. I had three of them. Um, Number one, that four days in between Georgia Tech and ECU on the road is going to be rough. It's almost like one of those things where it's like, why, why even come home? Like, just take a bus from Atlanta to Greenville, hang out for a little bit, and, uh, and, and then play the games there. Um, it's, so, so that's a little rough. It's nice getting the bye week before the trip to Memphis. That's going to be big. Um, it, 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 even if Memphis is not as good as they were last year, obviously they won the conference last year. Um, and with Mike Norvell moving on to Florida state, you know, obviously those guys are on scholarship too. There's still some guys left over from that team. They're still pretty talented and it's a road game. Okay. So, so there's that. And then, like I said, not leaving the state of Florida after you play on the road at Houston, you know, for your last four games in November and, Already, the joke on Twitter, of course, was, oh, wow, four, four consecutive home games to end the season, <laughs> even though the South Florida game's in Tampa. Um, well, it's got a point. I mean, there's a that's, point about that. That's, I mean, that's, that's nice to go down the home stretch like that. Now, there are some rumors floating about uh, around possibly moving the Georgia well, Tech game, well, well, right? let's address this. Here's the thing. The, the schedule is February. TV hasn't sunk. They still can sink their teeth yeah. into their schedules of everybody in the country. So I wouldn't necessarily make any travel plans just yet because yeah. they could tweak the schedule, not just UCF schedule, but a lot of teams schedule between now and then and move a game from Saturday to Friday or Friday to Saturday, you know, whatever. Well, you may, um, somebody, I forget if it was you or somebody else who made an extra interesting point about Georgia Tech about how they have like no games on national television scheduled this year. Well, that's not true, but uh, well, uh, well, I'm not not none, but like mostly, like they're going to get shuffled down to the ACC network for most of their games. Is that right? Well, because they yeah, because they stink. Um, you know, they're terrible. <laughs> now that being said, that's not an accurate statement. They're going to open the season hosting Clemson on Thursday night on ESPN. Okay, that's fair. Uh, that'll be the that the first game of the year. However, here's the thing. Um, this is where the Georgia Tech game you brought up is interesting. I'm not convinced that's going to be a Saturday game. Uh, first of all, that's if it stays on Saturday, it's probably going to be a noon game. ACC Network. I mean, if you're and, and as we know now in college football, fans hate noon games. Oh, it's too hot. I don't want to go. Yeah, September nineteenth in Atlanta. It should be fairly nice there at that time. I think. But they're going to complain no, about no. it. So I don't think. The point is, I don't think Georgia Tech is thrilled about a noon game in Atlanta on a Saturday. So. It wouldn't surprise me if they come to, hey, we'd be willing to move this game to Friday. Uh, and then UCF's like, heck yeah, move okay. it to Friday. That gives an extra we'll, day. We'll take that extra um, day. It would still be a short week Friday to Thursday for ECU, but a day is a day. I'll take it. 
fine. And by the way, I mean, I get it. It is a short week, but we're acting like these te- the players are going to be taking a bus back and have to bus to Orlando and bus to Greenville. These guys have charter planes. We're fine. Okay, it's 2020. It's not 1960. Well, I mean, I well, well, I right. talk about like you know you're messing with a, l- a little bit of the you know you sound like preparing. No, no, no. Yeah, you're, you're, you're you're shortening up the. It's one less day that you have to get ready. Now, sure. I, now, I agree that it would be a lot more difficult if, say, those games were flipped and you had only four days to prepare for Paul Johnson's Georgia Tech running the oh, triple yeah. option. But that, yes. that's not the case anymore with Jeff no, Collins there now. So, right. um, yes. yeah, so you have, you can, yeah, you're still preparing for a more conventional offense. That said, you know, I, I don't think ECU is going to be that much of a pushover next year as they have been the last couple of years. Um, and and, well, and it's, it's a big it's that. a big I, game. I it's your conference opener on the road. It's a, that's a big spot. Well, I agree with it, but I don't think it's because of the short week. I think it's because Mike Houston's a really good coach at ECU, and and Greenville's going to be a tough place to play at night. And and uh, you got Ailers, and he's going to be good. We saw we saw back? that last. Yeah, he's back. Oh wow. Um. So my point is, don't be surprised if the Georgia Tech game gets moved to Friday. Let's say. Look, ESPN, and, and this is the thing with TV, it's interesting this year. Remember, Boise State now with the Mountain West is on FS1. So ESPN loses a lot of those Friday night games and even a Thursday night games that used to book Boise State in with those home games. So they got to fill those slots, and I wouldn't be surprised if teams from the American helped that. So it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if a UCF Georgia Tech game gets moved to a Friday on ESPN, ESPN2, or even the ACC network can help push that network. So again, don't, and, and it's going to be interesting. Cause I know some fans, I know that that was a lot of people are planning on that trip in Atlanta. Don't book your plans just yet. Just wait a few months until TV kind of finalizes what they want to do before you make your plans. That would be my advice as far as, especially that Georgia tech game. But now you're right. That's a tricky part, but I got to tell you, if you're a UCF fan, if you're a UCF coach play. I think you take this schedule and run with it and say, thank you. Because to not leave the state in November is tremendous. And you get a bye week before that Memphis game on the road. This is a very favorable schedule to have success and have a big year. Um, When you got the Memphis game on a Friday night, but you have a bye week before that, you have one road game between October 24th to December, uh, till December. And that's the Houston trip. And I don't think Houston's – we don't know who's going to play for Houston. How do we know that more players won't redshirt for a clumsy coach over there? Uh, uh, Holgerson's son uh, is probably going to be court, probably going to be yeah, playing quarterback over there, right? Watch. So you don't know what to expect there. Um, and I like the you know the FAMU game in November is like a second buy. I don't care what you say. That's a great favorable deal. But more importantly, you have Temple and Houston-Cincinnati at home. I think it's a very favorable schedule. I do like the fact, by the way, make a note of this, Cincinnati – November 21st. Why that is significant, I know some people are like, oh, well, that's right before the USF game. Whatever. Who cares? Um, here's the thing. That is in a weekend that is a very traditionally a soft weekend TV-wise. And if you remember what happened two years ago, it was that weekend that UCF and Cincinnati, Jeffrey, got picked for college game day mm-hmm. and ABC primetime. I think UCF and Cincinnati, if both teams live up to the hype and have great years, could be a strong candidate to have college game day and ABC primetime back in Orlando, back on campus at UCF that weekend. Uh, that was my that was my first thought. Somebody um, was telling me that you know that Georgia Tech or North Carolina would have been candidates. No, because North Carolina is on a Friday, first of all, and second of all, 
obviously the stuff that you talked about with Georgia Tech, but also that game's in that game's in Atlanta. So what does that Georgia matter Tech's to us? And they're not good. And if you look at the schedule for college football week three, trust me, there's a there's a lot of great games. Yeah. Like Alabama, Georgia plays that weekend. I think that's gonna. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna pick UCF and Georgia Tech no. on a Saturday over over and, that. And the Carolina one you brought it up. It's Just a Friday saying. night game. It, it's a weeknight. Uh, that's not gonna work. I think Cincinnati is your best chance to get game day to come back here. Uh, the negative is I think Memphis could have been an option if it was a weekday, but I don't think Memphis is gonna be that great. So. It might not matter. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think UCF Cincinnati is your best bet. Um, UCF avoids Navy right. in the schedule. So no triple option. Uh, they avoid SMU. And I'm going to give you credit. SMU has got a very favorable schedule. To uh, to S- SMU schedule is – compared to the uh, – they released the, all of the teams in the, in the American, their full schedule. SMU has a cupcake schedule by comparison. Um, uh, not to UCF, I wouldn't say all that. their tough game. All their tough games are at are at home. I mean, UCF has has I think I, I would say two two really challenging road games: the Georgia Tech game, and I I still think the Memphis game is going to be a challenge. We don't know what we're going to get from well, Houston. We, we don't know what we're going to get from we don't know what we're going to get from South Florida. We don't know what we're going to get from ECU for that matter. Even right, yeah. even without the short week, but. Um, right. I mean, SMU's schedule is, yeah, is, SMU is an atrocity. SMU's three of their last four in the year is on the road. They're not staying in Dallas for the entire month. Like yeah, UCF but they're school. easy games the rest of the No, day. they're not. Not on the road. Yeah, tell that to UCF last year when we went up to Tulsa. Tell me how that went. Didn't go well. So when you go on the road, tricky things happen. So I would rather have the UCF schedule where they're at home the rest of the month in November. But, but I don't disagree with you on this regard. I think SMU is a definitely threat to get to the conference championship game. Remember, there's no divisions this year. There's no divisions. Right. So, I, that, 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 no UConn. Yeah, bye-bye yeah. UConn. So hopefully it works out. I think this is going to be a better UCF team than last year, more experienced at quarterback with Dylan Gabriel. They have their secondary should be stacked. Uh, I, th- I think it sets up to be a great year for UCF. I think they'll be a preseason top 25 team. I think they're going to be the favorites to win the American. So – uh, I know you don't like it, Jeffrey, but there's going to be high expectations from the fan base. Well, the the Put it to this way. the uh, what, expecting a second trip to Atlanta. Put it well, to the, that the East is going to be the East is going to be hard again. Okay, um, Cincinnati, I think, will be good. It doesn't matter. There's no divisions. Well, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right, man. Old habits die hard. Um, no I mean, Cincinnati is going to be better. I mean, UCF should be one of the favorites, but they were coming off of a really good. Year for the conference, and if Cincinnati keeps sure. doing what they're doing, they're the top competitor. Uh, and I we got some. I think, oh, go I ahead, Eric. Well, I think it, they will with Luke Fickle turning down Michigan State. They're recruiting fantastic up there in Ohio. I believe they had a 40, and the, their uh, latest recruiting class was in the 40s. I definitely agree with you. I think Cincinnati and UCF is setting up to be a potential rivalry moving forward in football with the way if Luke Fickle could stay there and the way he's recruiting. Uh, long enough. I think UCF Cincinnati will definitely be a marquee game in the league here for years to come. A little bit of a breaking uh, story that literally just dropped. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. The spring game date and time are set. Uh, Saturday, April the 4th at 2.30 p.m. Saturday, April the 4th at 2.30 p.m. And uh, that might not be as interesting as the fact that the uh, 
the yard sale is happening on on the morning of that game. So well, that's back. Okay, so that's significant because yeah. a lot of people liked that a couple of years ago. It was not involved, I think, last year. So that is significant on there as far as the spring game, whatever. Yeah. So uh, that's cool. I, I, I like I, I like that. I, I wish they would give the players the option to keep some of their equipment. Um, you know, yeah. but uh, I, I don't know if they do. Maybe somebody from UCF equipment could reach out to us and. It's, I mean, I know that they that they sell a lot of the helmets for the fans, and it's a way to raise money. But um, I would hope that you know, if you're a player, you know, you, they they ask you before they pick up your helmets to go to, you know, to be sold in these yard sales and auctions is like, hey, you know, when you leave here, do you want to keep, you know, one of the helmets, and which one do you want to keep? Um, and and they at least have the option to do that because you know those guys. I mean. It's something that they should have for their for their services to the program. So anyway, spring game, April 4th through 30th. Uh, by the way, we got some really good football content this week on the site, and I wanted to promote some of that before we take a break. Um, Anthony Lenahan's back, breaking down Marlon Williams. He's a, he uh, Anthony expects Marlon to have a huge senior season in 2020. Broke down the numbers, broke down the film. Make sure you check that out. Also, I went back in time and regraded the UCF football recruiting class from 2015. That's my MO. I love doing that. Um, we go back five years because some guys do stay five years. And, uh, and I have my own little star system that we, that we put together for how good a guy was at UCF. <clears throat> and, uh, and, yeah, I mean, that's going to be uh, – I do encourage you to check that out going back. We now have 12 seasons worth of recruits that we have – analyzed from 2004 to 2015. So make sure you check the full database and uh, especially going back to the 2015 class. By the way, um, we got softball on that. What do we have? What else do we have going on on that April 4th day, Eric? Well, here's the thing. Baseball is hosting Wichita state that night. I think it's a six o'clock game. So you got a little bit of a double header yeah. uh, that, you know, that, that Saturday softball is on the road at UConn. But uh, baseball, so you could have a little double. So softball is going to be buried under six feet of snow in UConn on April fourth. Um, that's probably thankfully be the last time we have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, baseball's got a series with Wichita State six o'clock, so you got a chance for a little doubleheader there. Spring football followed by baseball. I like when they've done that in the past, so that'll be fun. And then maybe I wonder, Jeffrey, too. That could mean that could be also the weekend of the Hall of Fame, right? If they return that for twenty twenty edition, do you I hope. I hope they do that. I hope they make that a regular thing that, you know, the spring game is kind of like your Hall of Fame week. And well, the they announced earlier get... in the year to take nominations, so I'm assuming they're planning on doing it this I year. Sent whether in, hey, I sent in my late. nominations. Did you right. send in yours? Absolutely. Okay, good. But we don't know officially if it's going to be that weekend or do they decide to move it to another weekend. We don't know any of that. All we know is if they do it like they've done recent history would suggest that could be the weekend of the Hall of Fame as well because they've done it around the spring game, but. That is not official. That is just speculation. Purely speculative. So keep your eye on that. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we will talk baseball. We will talk softball and wrap it up here on the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff Sharon and uh, Eric Lopez with you here. Let's wrap this thing up and talk a little bit about uh, Softball and uh, baseball. So baseball will lead off with the uh, with the nice starting their season by sweeping a four game set with uh, Siena, but they lost on Tuesday to Stetson at home six to five. So the Knights are four and one on the season. Uh, after the that sort of uneven two to one performance on opening night, 
uh, on Valentine's night against uh, against the Saints of Siena. UCF then went on to win 11-4, 9-1, to and 10-2. Uh, I was very fortunate to uh, call the 9-1 the game, which was that was a doubleheader on Saturday. Um, and uh, uh, Mark Daniels called me up to fill in for him on that second game. It was a 9-1 game. There were uh, a couple of home runs in that game for UCF, and then they wrapped up the series on Sunday, um, 10-2. I thought that the really impressive thing for UCF baseball, Eric Lopez, was in that weekend series was uh, the pitching. Um, in the first game, Colton Gordon, okay, uh, junior college transfer, making his first start as a knight. Outstanding. Six and a third, one run, four hits, Struck out 10. All right. Um, game two. Uh, first game of uh, the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday. UCF wins 11 to 4. Um, and uh, the winning pitcher in that game for UCF was Trevor Holloway back in action. No runs, three hits, nine strikeouts, one walk, and five innings. Um, the, double, uh, the second game of the doubleheader, the game that I called, really impressed with Hunter Pattison, true freshman out of Vero Beach. Um, five and a third, one run, two hits, walk three, struck out seven. And then, uh, Sunday, now bear in mind, this is, uh, you know, a, a game that you're not really expecting to uh, kind of factor in because you usually obviously you play three games, but it's a big return day for, uh, Joe Sheridan who got the start first start in 600 and some days. Um, had a little bit, of, was a little wobbly at times, letting guys on, but final line was pretty good. Uh, four innings, two runs, one earned, uh, two hits, walked three, struck out five. Um, but the story from that game was Jackson Clare. He came in in relief and threw another four innings, struck out 10, including seven in a row at one point, uh, no runs on, uh, one hit and he only walked one. So the, uh, so if you're Greg Lovelady, I think you got to be thrilled coming out of that. Now I know it's Siena, okay, but you got to be thrilled coming out of that opening weekend with the arms that you have um, at your disposal. Now UCF decided to go the uh, bull, the uh, bullpen by committee route against Stetson. Nobody threw more than two innings. Zach Hunziker got the start, struck out two. Uh, Jalen Whitehead uh, gave up one run, struck out one. David Litchfield threw another two innings. Um, gave up one, struck out one. Billy McKay kind of got roughed around a little bit. He gave up uh, three runs uh, in that game, but uh, but only on two hits and two thirds of an inning. So, but uh, I, I, if you're Greg Lovelady, that first weekend you got to be pretty happy with how everything turned out. That that was um, that's like okay, it, like he talked to us before the season, and you can listen to our baseball preview episode about how happy he was with the depth that he had both both in the lineup and on the hill. And we saw that in spades this weekend, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And, you know, me and Murph obviously broke that down in depth earlier this week about the positives. Now, it's early. It's a young team. I think we saw some of that youth in the Stetson game on Tuesday. I thought, you know, there were some at-bats that showed its youth, like Pablo Ruiz, I think, in the ninth inning with a runner at third and one out, was overly anxious, yeah, aggressive. And instead of, hey, let's just calm down and, you know, let's put the ball in play and tie this sucker up, it was overly aggressive trying to hit to be the hero ball. And we see that with young players. I think you'll learn from that. And I think they'll learn from that overall, that experience. So 
Um, but I think there's positive youth, and I think we're just going to have to be patient with him. I think you're going to see some ups and downs early. But you're right. The pitching is tremendous. It's, it, it's talented. Um, now, Greg Lovelady mentioned after the Stetson game uh, that he's Colton Gordon's going to start Friday night at Auburn. Auburn's ranked number eight, so you could have a matchup of Colton Gordon against Tanner Burns, who could be a top 10 MLB draft pick uh, this upcoming draft. Uh, that could be sensational there. And then Trevor Holloway is going to start Saturday's game, and then he left it open for Sunday so to see how the series goes. So I think we're going to learn a lot more about this team and how they handle the environment at Auburn. This was an Auburn team that made it to the College World Series last year. They're very talented. Uh, they're among the favorites for the SEC title. Uh, they're going to be playing a tough place every time you go to an SEC park. As Lovelady mentioned after the Stetson game, it's a great test because that's kind of the type of atmosphere you may have to deal with if you make the regionals and, 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 and postseason and on the road. So I think we'll learn a lot about this group uh, moving forward. But I like the young talent um, a lot. I think there's upside. I think their arms are the deepest quality of arms that Coach Lovelady's had since he's been here. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of the offense – you know, and the youth in that offense to be, you know, can they figure how quickly can they figure things out when they face quality pitching? It was good to see Talton Wingo hit a home run in the Stetson game. He kind of had a quiet weekend against Siena. So we'll see. They're going to be tested here against Auburn, who's very good. I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm assuming it'll be televised on online. I would assume I'm going to take a quick peek. I would assume it's on SEC Network Plus online. Um, I haven't I, seen I any link on the UCF side. I'm going to pull up Auburn's schedule here real quick, see if they have anything here. But yeah, um, so I think it's a fun one. I think we'll learn a lot about this team. It's early. I don't want people to overreact. I saw some people overreacting to the Stetson loss. Stetson, I think it's going to be pretty good. Oh, Murph boy. brought yeah. it up. Into We're, his really <laughs> We're really overreacting. We're really overreacting. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's a midweek. Um, and, I, and I try to tell people this. Midweek wins and loses and losses are overblown where you're judged on more is the weekends, and especially in conference. But I also think Stetson and Murph brought this up earlier in the week when we did the podcast on Monday, came out Monday. Stetson had a lot of freakish injuries last year. They, they kind of dealt with some things. They're healthy this year. They should be back to, you know, an NCAA tournament quality team and probably among the favorites in the A-Sun. Um, and UCF gets to go back to Deland later in this year. So I, I wouldn't judge too much on the Stetson result. Uh, it was one of those midweek early games that like, things happen. Yeah. So I, I, I want to see what happens more with Auburn and see how they match up and see how they perform out on the road. Uh, Auburn 5-0 and off to a great start, and they're hitting the ball very well. So uh, I'm seeing SEC Network Plus, by the way, Mr. Yeah, yeah, I, I just – yeah, I was just going to say they um, – all three games on Auburn's website Love do it. take us to SEC Network Plus. So um, – so if you need to, it's, it's AuburnTigers.com. If for some reason that link doesn't pop up, it'll be on uh, SEC Network Plus, which I believe you can watch through an ESPN Plus subscription, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know about all that. I just know you can watch it without an ESPN Plus subscription. Oh. Uh, so there's many ways you can watch SEC. That's free. That's not like you don't need ESPN Plus to watch it. All right. Never mind. Forget I said that. Um, all right. So now, next, uh, year, that makes, next year, that statement is will probably be accurate, but we're, we're not going to get into that. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, softball. All right, Eric Lopez, another uh, successful uh, weekend for uh, UCF softball over uh, Valentine's weekend, going 4-0, and including two wins over Iowa State, uh, a W over Villanova, a 10-0 win over um, FAU, dominating performance by UCF softball this weekend. 
as uh, they get ready to head to uh, to Tampa for a pair against number 12 Tennessee and a pair against FIU. Um, update us on this weekend here because I was following the action as they were taking place right across from baseball. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, well, I mean, there really wasn't that much to follow. They were, they were whooping everybody in sight. They did. Uh, there was dominant Georgia Blair hit three home runs over the weekend, hit one to right, one to center, one to left. I mean, she has power to all fields. Maybe the best power hitter we've had since, if you want to say Samantha McClowski, that's cool, but definitely, you know, and, and, and you know, she's got, she's got a chance to maybe be a double figure home run hitter, which we haven't had since Stephanie Best, uh, at least on a consistent basis, but they got talented depth offensively. Uh, they've got power off the bench. Uh, really cool. One of my favorites was on Sunday, Molly Rainey, her night's debut. She gets pinch hit. Her parents, who they're all from Oklahoma. They're from out of Oklahoma. They drove from Oklahoma all the way to Orlando. to watch Ooh, her. That's a brutal, brutal drive. I did the, the map quest said it was about 18 hours and that's not including, I don't know if that includes stops or not. So they made the way she pinch hits on Sunday and hits a two run homer. Uh, that was pretty cool to see, but it shows they have power. They have power at the bench. Mm-hmm. She likes to use her bench as a weapon, uh, and they're very deep offensively. Now that's going to get tested this weekend because they'll play number twelve ranked Tennessee in Tampa, uh, just like baseball. I think we're going to learn a lot about them. A two game series against Tennessee in Tampa. They'll also play FIU for two games in Tampa. It's a four team tournament. South Florida being the host. But I think we're going to learn a lot. And this is these are games now. You got you look at the stretch now for softball. It's important to get off to that nine and two start at home because now you look at the the next, I think, 22 games. Jeff, you can look, double check if I'm if I'm right. 19 of the next 22 games are on the road, is away from UCF. Uh, and it starts this weekend. T- two games against Tennessee, two games against FIU. Then they go on the road in Tallahassee for a midweek against Florida State before they come home for a tournament. And then, of course, they go out west for yeah. that uh, marquee tournament uh, schedule. Man, that is, that is a haul, bro. I mean, that is right. – They got – this is where they can build your resume, right? This is where you have opportunities to build your resume. They came up short against Washington in a game that was 5-3 going into the seventh inning, and then it kind of got out of hand in the seventh, a little misleading score. But we're going to learn a lot against this Tennessee team that has a young freshman pitcher by the name of Callie Turner, who is a phenom, is one of the top freshman pitchers in the country. Uh, She's a, a, you know, taught by a young lady by the name of Casey Clark Zerby, who uh, was a personal coach of Allison Kime and Mackenzie Otis, if you want a UCF connection to that. So uh, we're going to learn about this team. The Knights have a great pitching staff depth. We learned that as well with Gene Mancha, as well as Brianna Vasquez pitched well in a win against Iowa State, backing up Aaliyah White. Aaliyah White, by the way, over that weekend, Jeffrey, hit the 70 win mark, fourth UCF pitcher to ever do do that. And then in their shutout win against FAU, tied Allison Kime for third with 71 wins. Has an opportunity to pass Allison this weekend, potentially in Tampa, which is Aaliyah's hometown and also Allison's home. Kind of ironic. Yeah, if that happens. Well, I'm really. I, it's I, this first stretch here for UCF. Like I said, going to be really critical. When was the last time that we that we played Tennessee? Was it that preseason game? Was it? We played them in Claremont. Yeah, you were with me. Yeah, we beat uh, Ashley Cole opening weekend in Ashley Claremont. Cole, that's Doc right. Richardson Invitational in 2010. Oh, uh, it was that, that, that was so cold that day. Do you remember how cold yep. it was? Oh my God, it was. Yes, it's the only time in my 14 seasons of calling softball we were playing Georgia 
right after that game, and it was nighttime, and it was in the 30s, and we were down big, and I'm like, let's just get run rolls so we get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I remember I was shooting video for that game. I, I was, so I'm down there on the, I'm down there down the baseline over by our, over by our dugout, and I am absolutely freezing because. I don't know what it was, but it was particularly windy. And Claremont's basically the highest part of the Floridian Peninsula. Um, yep. It's not the highest point in the state. That's up in the Panhandle. But if you're talking like down in the peninsula, it's the highest point that there is. And I don't know, man. The wind was whipping. And I was just absolutely freezing that day. It was, it was bad. But, uh, but, yeah, I remember that one. I remember for some reason uh, we also played Tennessee, I think, back in like 03 or 04. And well, we played them at home in 09 in an extra inning game, a one nothing game. We've had some memorable meetings yeah. with Tennessee. I mean, this one was a pre this was a preseason game. I think I'm, I think Monica Abbott was playing yep. for Tennessee yep. at I that, think that time. Was five? That was at the old four? complex, which is now yeah. which now does not exist. But um, that game I remember being excruciatingly cold. So what is it about us playing Tennessee when it's cold? Anyway, um, should be this cold this weekend in Tampa. Uh, well, yeah, it's at USF. Uh, it'll be cool. It won't be cold. It'll be. It should be nice. Yeah. Should be nice. So, yeah. So, all right. Um, so that's what we got coming up for uh, softball this coming week with that uh, USF tournament, and of course Wednesday against number nine Florida State, six o'clock. Can't forget that. You going to that game? Which one? The Florida State game. Not going to Tallahassee. Okay. Uh, to be determined on Tampa. If you want to come, that's a long. That's a long trip, man. Um, what, Tallahassee or Tampa? Well. For me, toting two kids around both, uh, but the, but the, uh, you know, I was, but that's again, that's the game that we'll be watching on. Uh, uh, well, hopefully, I don't know if they'll have television for that game for the Florida State game. FSU, at- they probably will on ACC Network Extra. Okay. Online, uh, Tampa, not so much. Gotcha. All right. So uh, we'll be monitoring those games as they uh, roll on through. Um, and it's big. It's big. I mean, we're gonna yeah. learn a lot, and. If you look at this schedule, 19 of the 22, you want to get some resume wins over ranked teams. And let's be honest, Jeff, let's play the geography game. A little easier to win a game in Tampa against Tennessee than, say, Los Angeles against the number one ranked UCLA Bruins. Ain't that the truth. Right? Um, Other quick updates. I want to get women's tennis, by the way, 6-2. and Uh, Knocked off Nebraska. Kenny's like waiting to hear from you to say, hey, we're coming. He was telling me last Wednesday night, hey, you guys are welcome. Uh, Arpit's ready. They, uh, by the way, they beat UC Santa Barbara four to one in a match where they played the doubles point on Valentine's Day, and then they played the singles two days later, which was kind of weird. But uh, they then came up and swept Nebraska four nothing. Men's tennis right now four and three, but they've won two in a row at Virginia and at Illinois um, in consecutive weeks. Uh, they come back home to play FAU in nine days on Saturday, February 29th. But um, after losing to uh, two ranked teams and at UCLA and then at Wake, um, to get those two wins uh, on the road again against uh, a, a, a top-notch ACC team and a top-notch Big Ten team, uh, big for them. So we'll see them again against the Owls on February uh, 29th. Leap Day coming up a week from this coming Saturday. Which, All right. By the way, Kenny... Kenny, give me this stat. This is, this is you know, this kid's going to be a great SID. So tennis has played on a leap day twice before. Okay. They're two and zero. Oh. All right. He told so me the not years, but I'm up. old, so I forgot. But he gave <laughs> me the years, and I'm sure it'll be in the game notes. So I'm not going to spoil in the op- it. In the opponents, are the opponents any good? You remember? Uh, That's all right. Uh, you know. he, 
I think he told me. I just don't remember. I was busy. I was in the middle of a women's basketball broadcast, my <laughs> mind. But the kid's ready. He'll, I'm sure it'll be in his notes when that week comes up. I'm looking forward to that. So, all right. What do you got? Uh, what, what do you got coming up here, Eric? I know I've got one. I want to get one of your. Uh, we're still we're still doing the uh, stuff of the decade. So, um, <laughs> I, I I reached out to uh, Tristan Spurlock. Got his input on the women's basketball one. We're going to be dropping that one pretty soon. I want to get the uh, top ten games as well out this week as well. Because, uh, you know, I mean, there's some days when we have some, some it's pretty light out there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we'll try and pump those out. What else do you have coming up? Yeah, hopefully helping you uh, push that out and, uh, you know, just kind of getting ready for the softball to come out next week. I'm going to be following them up in Tampa to see. That's a very significant and uh, see how they do there. And then baseball at Auburn, we're going to be following all that. And uh, spring is it's getting busier and busier. I mean, this is uh, everything's going on right now. That's the thing. So it's just keeping track with all these marquee games. You think about this this weekend. You got women's hoops at top ten UConn, baseball at top ten Auburn, softball playing number twelve Tennessee. Yo, that's pretty impressive stuff. You mentioned what women's tennis has got coming up, and then men's basketball home against Tulane, trying to build off a classic memorable win against Cincinnati. I mean, it's, it's a lot. The answer is a lot's going on to follow. Yeah, yeah, we are definitely well within the. Uh the uh, spring sports equinox uh, as well here as we head into the week. May have to. I might actually do uh, women's basketball where we stand postseason after the UConn game. Uh, okay. Might have to we're gonna have to, yeah, we got to start thinking about that now because, yeah. you know, here's, I mean, we're, we're, we're heading into the last week of February and uh, March is coming. So, um, gosh, this year is already flying by. Unbelievable. All right. So uh, make sure you follow that. Make sure you uh, follow all of us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, uh, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where you can get all the latest on all UCF sports uh, right here on Estimation's Home uh, for UCF. So uh, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, including Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch you next week.